1: Welcome everybody to another episode of Tennis Channel Insight and on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios where we have a great show for you today. Talking to two of my favorites from the outside world that are diehard tennis fans. Know a thing or two about how to wager on the game. First up it's Kenny Ducey from Sports Edge and Sportsbook Review. No stranger to the Tennis Channel airwaves. He's got a lot to say on the ATP events in Basel and Vienna. And we look ahead to the WTA Tour Finals as well. Magul winning Guadalajara, Iga's dominance. Kenny Ducey has a lot to say about it. A lot of players, including a one Jack Draper. You're not going to want to miss that. And then Pamela Maldonado returns to the show. Yahoo book, a betting analyst. She hosts quite a few shows as well she's a gambling expert she is a diehard tennis fan we talk about how she correctly predicted Alcarez's rise to number one Novak Djokovic's return coming up in the Paris Masters Dominic Thiem's form as he continues his climb back into the top 100 and much much more it's Kenny Ducey and Pamela Maldonado on Tennis Channel Inside In let's start the show Welcome everybody to another episode of tennis channel inside in we're on the tennis channel podcast network now joined officially second time a reoccurring guest on the show betting expert for a ton of different platforms nbc sports edge action network uh, sports Foot review kenny Ducey's back on the show no stranger to the tennis channel airwaves so kenny thanks for coming back on tennis channel inside in here the podcast and i know i don't have to convince you that the season is plenty long the way it is because we're just loving this october tennis
2: yeah, there's not many people that could pull me away from baseball and football to, uh, to talk about Basel and Vienna and Guadalajara last week. But you are one, Mitch. I love talking tennis with you. Uh, I got uh, I just I just steeped some coffee. I'm ready to go. I'm ready. I'm ready to talk about whatever you, you want to talk about. Dominic Stricker, you want to talk about <laughs>
1: still going. Uh, you
2: want to, you want to talk about Ugo on and the great end of the season he's had. We could talk about it all.
1: Yeah, it's like dinner time in uh, New York where you're coming in, but I should point out as we record this, it's past, I think, midnight or close to midnight, and they're still playing a third set in Basel. Uh, A lot to get to. We can kind of start with this, though. Uh, Your picks hit again today with Shapovalov, Hugo, and Bear winning in their matchups, and, uh, you know, I caught you on a good day, of course. You're on a hot streak, but it is nice to have the timing here, but you pointed out something that's, I think, interesting, especially this time of year. That rather than you looking at ranking points or seeds and and those sort of things, head to head is a big thing. The form and just what kind of match results they've had recently matters a little more. And I think you leaned on uh, all those things when you nailed the Ugo and the Dennis Shapovalov picks.
2: No, thank you. Uh, I had been really cold for four or five days, and four or five days, and that's what happens late in the season. I feel you have to sort of readjust, and uh, it, it does. You know, there are strange results, but. I think ultimately, you know, you look at a guy like Arthur Rinderknech this week, and he wasn't very respected. I mean, you know as well as I do, oddsmakers, tennis betters, they love Alex Molchan for God knows what reason. I really don't know why. Uh, he's fine. He's a good player, but uh, I think he gets treated sometimes like he's like this future top 30 guy. And a lot of people were on him against Rinderknech. but you look at Rinderknech, you look at Ugo Ember, Shapovalov; these are all guys that have had terrible seasons, right? That the, yeah. They are really talented players, especially, especially Rinderknech. He starts out in Australia. He's winning all these matches. Uh, he he is competing super hard. I forget who he lost to. I think it might have been, it was the Nasi Kokonakis, right? In the Adelaide yeah. final. Uh, and he played a great match, like a hostile environment. And that was, that showed me a lot about him. I was like, wow, this, I didn't really realize this kid was so competitive. Like he's got this fire. He's got this edge. Um, you know, you think like, I don't know. I feel like you just, you sort of profile. Okay, well, he's tall. He serves big, uh, you know, Whatever he's he's a you sort of know you've seen a million tennis players like Arthur neck, but no yeah. I think he surprised me and then he has you know just basically disappears for the rest of the season deals with injury Chapoval had went on that long losing streak after he beat Nadal uh, and then you mm-hmm. know Umber obviously after he uh, he had a great great couple of seasons rose to the top 100 he falls apart so all three of those guys like you know this week really I'm really I've been highlighting the last couple of weeks yeah. like these guys need wins you know yeah. and look it's a weird way to handicap sometimes like oh well this guy wants to win more than this guy obviously most right. tennis players want to win every time i step on the court but you know shapovalov i think the word i used was a mean streak mm-hmm. he's found that confidence like he's found that mean streak he's playing tennis at a very high level right now and when this guy's got confidence he can beat anybody and that includes yeah. rafael nadal um maybe not novak chokovic <laughs> but maybe there's like three players he can't beat but that's basically it right and uh, yeah, I think that you know you look at a guy who he's beat tw- uh, four times in Taylor Frick. He comes in with a lot of he knows he can win the match, right? Mm-hmm. He comes in with a lot of confidence. Drops the second set, not really worried at all about it. Comes out uh, firing in the third, holding easily. He's also serving great. So yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to love about the way he's playing. Uh, I-, I know you didn't mention Ritterneck when you asked me about <laughs> no, about good. these guys I picked, but he, he yeah. you know he's another guy who's who's sort of who's sort of really playing hard in he- nice straight set win over yeah. Mulchon today, four. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's a weird time of year. Like you get, you know, that's why Marco's to Remember he made that big Paris run. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Years ago. So obviously hatching off one Paris, uh, uh, many moons ago now. And so, yeah, that's, it is a fun time of the season because you get these guys who just like, they sort of redeem themselves after they, you know, go on these, these long cold streaks during the season.
1: Yeah. And it's time for some players to regain form after injury. Uh, Just a couple notes there on what you said in Shapovalov, especially. I think when he's serving well, I think that's where a lot of the validity or uh, volatility, I should say, in his game comes from is when it serves off. I know he's had issues kind of reining it in at times, but he has the confidence versus Fritz, a guy who it's another thing you you clarified is that all these players want to win. But when you've had such a long season, you've played a lot of tennis and in Fritz's case, next week is the Paris Masters. He's still playing for the ATP Tour Finals. I don't want to say he's not emptying the tank, but this meant more to Shapovalov than it did Fritz. Uh, the guy, and then the other guy, too, and Bear beat Jensen Brooksby, who has had really his first long professional season. He's you know dealt with injuries. He's running out of some steam. Read the column that we put up on tennis.com today, and I think that Brooksby is at that stage where he's ready for the offseason, not to be done with tennis necessarily, Kenny, but to look for the next adjustments and little edges that he can find in his game. So it is a, a timing situation. Some of these players are needing this time to regain their form, get their hot streak back up. Other players are kind of already looking to the offseason for deserved reasons.
2: And I think Brooksby is a, a guy that's very interesting because you mentioned that he's had a long season. And yeah, I, I mean, I would I think that he's going to hit the ground running in, in Australia. And I mean, he loves hard courts, but I think he learned a lot this year of, okay, well, my game's really out where, you know, it should be on clay and, and on grass. And he had the great breakout at Newport last year. And everyone goes, oh, hey, look, you know, he mm-hmm. can adapt to different surfaces. He's good on quick courts. Uh, you know, maybe it was a small sample. Maybe we have to pump the brakes uh, with our expectations. And, you know, that's just natural for mm-hmm. a young player to struggle on other surfaces. But that re- really, like, hit him like a ton of bricks when he, yeah. he literally, because we're playing on clay, right? But literally, like, he goes to clay, can't win a match. Uh, then it, it translates to grass season a little bit. You saw early on in the season, he was beating Stefano Tsitsipas. Uh, you know, the fitness, again, kind of cost him against Cam Norrie, right? The, you know, he's a kid, and he's yeah. he's not really up to speed yet to just grind out, reset matches, grind out with grinders like Cam. Um, and then, you know, North American Hardcourt comes, and, and once again, that swing, he dominates. You know, he, he wins some matches. He looks like he, a top 40 player at least. So I would think that, yeah, maybe he he just kind of takes some, some months to just reset and then comes out swinging because – he knows he has to capitalize on those hardcore yeah. tournaments. But yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned Taylor, like, again, there's a lot that goes on in the life of a tennis player. He's doing all these events for, uh, for water drop, which is a big sponsor mm-hmm. of the tournament. And he's going around Vienna with, you know, and there's just, he's, he made the top 10. He had a wonderful season. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though you're looking forward to the ATP finals and he's still, you know, I mean, that was a nice win he had over Nishioka there's just a little bit of an edge there with Shapoval just wants it a little bit more, yeah. you know, Fritz in the back of his mind can go, Oh, you know, I haven't lost much this year and uh, I got the Paris Masters, They got a bunch of points that I can earn. Yeah. And I, you know, I, am, am I really going to empty the tank against but, a guy that, you know, is just hitting the ball through me? Like, you know, I don't you know, know. So he showed yeah. a lot of
1: heart in that match. Losing the first set six one winning the second and then making it a battle. But yeah, maybe there was an extra level of motivation. Uh, Another thing to kind of mention is just how good some of these early matches have been in these two 500 ATP tournaments. A couple that I just want to run through, a Hercash over Tiafo in three sets, a a scintillating match there. I think Francis too, again, career year for him playing a lot of tennis. He also has that body language where I can never tell if he's tired or if that's just the way that he walks around the court. But Hubie is a tough matchup for anybody to play because you know that he's just going to be in the match. Like he's not going away. He's mentally checked in. He doesn't give you a tell kind of like Brandon Nakashima, but he's always there. Uh, and Hubie Tiafo played a classic where Hubie just maybe again needed it a little more, but coming up with the goods in the third set.
2: I mean, yeah. And that scoreline was unfair to Foe. I think he had, uh, I don't know if he had a break point in the first game of the Five, set, but he had yeah, a, He was yeah, in He was into that yeah. haircut service game. And he had, I mean, he, in, in Francis fashion, right? He won some unbelievable rallies. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, it's not like they're 40 shot rallies. It's mm-hmm. like, you know he showcases his speed, his touch around the net, the volleying—it's incredible—and that was a really fun match to watch. And I also think, like to your point, uh, I don't know if you saw his match against uh, Aliyah Emer last week or Elias Emer last week, but yeah. he—I mean—he was down two breaks in a second, the whole match, right? And I was thinking because we're thinking late season motivation, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, he looked like he was completely done. He was leaning over mm-hmm. the, the railing, talking to the fans. And this was like before he went down two breaks. He, he looked tired. He looked like he didn't want to be there. Emer donates a break back, wins the match. Like, just that like all that. Like, well, you're going to give me the match. Yeah. You're going to give me a little weigh-in. I'm going to yeah. take it. Um, and that's just the ability that this guy has, right? And I think for years we saw, like a lot of players, see the, the rise. And then you see, okay, well, he got complacent for a couple years, Francis. He was kind of sitting 60-50 in the world, you know, some nice wins here and there. U.S. Open always, I mean, at the guarantee, this guy is mm-hmm. going to, you know, produce some epics at the U.S. Open, but, you know, that's really last couple of years, what we've seen is this guy putting in some hard work. And I think that's what was so rewarding yeah. about the U.S. Open run, because if, I don't know if you remember last year, you know, he could have gone down to South America and played some hard court tournaments, or uh, I guess stayed a little closer to North America rather. Um, but he, and you know, he, he said play the golden swing. And I thought that was a big thing for an American tennis player who dominates hard courts, who basically he's hungry for points wherever he can get them. He goes down and plays golden swing to try to work on his game on clay. And I mean, I saw him play an Estoril a few years ago when I was on vacation, like, you know, he definitely has a good game for clay. And I respect that he went there yep. and played those matches. And I, uh, you know, you've also seen, he's going to be a slow starter every year. The, the weird, the weird thing is like the Aussie open quarterfinal was his first breakout result because like, that guy, he never plays well first few months of the season. And then, like, mid season and on is just yeah. unbelievable level. Yeah. I and mean, we saw it last year with the win over mm-hmm. Rublev. Like, he could, you know. So, yeah. Right. So it's nice to see, like, he's sustaining this level.
1: I liked his ability now to kind of win when his A game's not there. That had not happened in the past. So maybe that's a positive to take away or at least compete there. And another one, too, because I got to mention him. You've been on, you know, you bought low in the stock, but. It doesn't get much better than a first-round match between Alcaraz and Jack Draper. And uh, Draper, look, he, I think he had like m- less than five unforced errors and lost the match. Alcaraz yeah. is, Al is uh, obviously Carlos Alcaraz. He deserves everything that he gets. But Jack Draper looks like a legit one. And I don't know what the ceiling is. I think we have to be a little realistic with it, Kenny. But he looks like a major player in, in the decade to come.
2: Are you going to make me talk about you? Are You're you really asking about Jack Draper right now. I don't want to get made fun of here, Mitch.
1: No, go but ahead.
2: this kid, okay, and I remember sitting next to our friend Gil Gross at the U.S. Open. We were watching him play Felix, and I had Jack to win that match. Uh, and that was a great, uh, mm-hmm. and not to pat myself on the back, but it was a fun match to happen. He has no weaknesses. Like, what's the, those kids' weaknesses... Uh, you know, in years past, the heat right outside, like, and injuries obviously have been a huge thing. And he, and he had to retire against Karen Hatchinoff. I mean, there's nothing he can't do. Uh, he has an incredible toucher on the net. He has one, he, he has already one of the, the bigger serves on tour. He comes at you from the left side, which is incredibly hard. He rips the back. I don't know what's going on here, but Jensen was targeting. The Draper backhand, oh, Draper backhand. He dusted
1: Brooksby, and he killed him. And just the kind of it
2: was a pickem. That was go, a pickem match. Yeah,
1: to go off of what you just said too, he mixes it up. And I think tactically, when I see that from a young player, that's what gets my wheels turning a little bit too. Like how far can this could go against Carlos? He was serving and volleying. He was mixing it up, and that was that was the definition of a match where you just got to have your hel- head held high if you lose because he gave him his best shot, and Kraz was just that little bit better.
2: And the last game of the match, you know, he's down 40, 15 on the Alcaraz servant. I mean, what was that at six, five, like he had already mm-hmm. broken back to, to get back in the match, saves two match points, produces a break point, And like Alcaraz hits an insane, uh, <laughs> gets insane spin to curl it in, yeah. uh, just catches a piece of the line to save break point, And then Jack loses, but you know, again, I, I, I get laughed at for how much I love this kid, but like, I mean, I don't know what his play. Gil asked me for his comp. comp, I'm like, is it, is it Federer? Like Mm, he, he, the way he volleys unbelievable around the net, great hands, pretty good movement. And then he's obviously got insane power off of both wings. And and just like we saw against Carlos, he didn't even make any, he's not even making any errors. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Again, he moves so well for being a big kid. He's so young, and I think the ceiling is so high. I really think that he's going to be number one in the world. I, my bold mm. claim was within the next three years, and I, I know that that's crazy. And I just think we, what we've seen with with Yannick Sinner and Carlos Alcaraz moving, at, frankly, you can go as far back as Zverev and Tsitsipas moving to the top of the, the game very quickly at a young age. I think that this number one ranking is going to be in flux for the next few years because Novak's schedule is kind of all messed up obviously Rafa is dealing with injury and like, I mean, he could, I mean, it wouldn't be surprised me if you were tired any day now, uh, the way that guy is just battling through this insane pain, right. Eventually he's going to say, okay, well, it's enough. Enough's enough. I think that sure. Like as Carlos sort of grows into being number one player in the world and grows into, you know, an adult, like, I think that it's going to, there's going to be some growing pains and I'm sure he's going to hit some slumps. He's already sort of hit a wall the last month. Right. Uh, He lost to Felix at Davis cup. So I think that that number one ranking, at least in the next few years, you know, maybe there's, it's not going to be like, Carlos is not going to have like 7,000 ranking points like Novak was doing. You know what I mean? So I I think that Jack could sneak in there. Maybe he could sneak a semi of a slam. Maybe he could sneak a Wimbledon in there because Berrettini seems to be getting hurt every other month. And who knows? Who knows? I think this kid's going to be number one one day, and I think it's going to be pretty soon.
1: Well, our British fans are going to love when we put that clip out there (laughs) that he's going to be number one. And you know what? I think it's possible. I don't know that I would bet on it, but... He's in the discussion, and it's just so hard to get to number one. You'd have to get past. Again, I agree. I don't think Alcaraz is just going to be number one for 10 years straight. There's going to be movements. Um, but no, he's definitely throwing his hat in the woods. Yeah, yeah. He's, right?
2: Like, that's, that's, that's that's to me, a good comp. So, I mean, I think obviously, the question it, is, they're a little I, different.
1: I think the question is, I would. I'm all in on he's winning a Masters. He's going to make his move at a major. Number one is just so cumulative. Like, can he put together 365 days? Or, of, or close to it, of being the very best. That's, I mean, because yeah, that's that, it is that's tough. the thing. I, and with Alcaraz, what impresses me the most is probably number one in the world right now, not the U.S. Open major title as a team. Both are unbelievably impressive, but to get to number one, it's like, my goodness, you know. Uh, yeah, that's a
2: battle. And, and it's he's he's going to have, I think he's going to have to win a slam. And that's, that's mm-hmm. I think he could, it's going to depend on Djokovic, but Wimbledon. I t- yeah, I take good, the time frame, frame off spots. there.
1: If you take the time, if you take three years off there, just say who hey, will get to number one, just make it five, open-ended. let's make it yeah. five, make <laughs> it 5
2: let Let's take a five because you're yeah. right. I mean, you're right. Like the only thing. And I mentioned the only thing holding him back is injuries and he's dealt with so many injuries already during his career. And so if you're a betting man, which we are, mm-hmm. it's hard to bet on a guy that, you know, who's been getting he's consistently getting injured yeah. to just suddenly not get injured anymore. I mean, it happens in sports, but, um, you know, and, and as he gets more money, I'm sure he's going to invest more in his body. And again, like also like a lot of other British players, sometimes it's tough for them to deal with extreme conditions. He's going to have to go play in Australia. You got to perform in all the slams if you're going to be number one, mm-hmm. but you know, his game works on clay. Like he's at incredible. He, he works in an amazing drop shot. I mentioned he has incredible touch around the net and, and he forehand does a lot of action on it. Yeah. So I think he could play on clay. And again, grass is a great, we've already seen it's been a great service for him. He took the first set off Novak Djokovic when he met him in the first round, was it last year? You know, mm-hmm. I it's possible that he could sneak a Wimbledon in there. Like things have to break right. Yeah. Djokovic has to, you know, either I don't I don't know, retire or get hurt or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not yeah. so confident anymore in Berrettini dominating Wimbledon every year, like I was like last year. I was like, this guy's gonna uh, win like seven Wimbledons. Look at his grass record. Yeah. Yeah, it probably could still happen. You know, it, when when this guy gets on grass, it really doesn't matter what form he's in. But that's, I think that's where I would target him winning a slam.
1: Don't forget Nick also on grass. Got to remember that's true. him too. Uh, Motiv- Nick, yeah. By the
2: way, I don't want to run the podcast, but have you been following him on, on Instagram? No. He's been making some claims that he's going to win the Australian open. He's like Australian open. I will have you. He was saying, uh, very hungry. He's been okay. posting workout videos every day. Okay. I don't, I think he's trying to send a message to people that like this. And also I was at that press conference after he lost to Karen at the U S open. That was the, I was immediately, my immediate takeaway was this guy's win in the Australian open because he just sat there. He talked about the fact that nothing else matters except for the slams. He was like, Mm -hmm. the next thing I'm really focused on is the Australian open. And that's, I think what he's focused on. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens, but he played incredibly well the last two years, despite having, I mean, he came off the couch, Mm -hmm. almost beat team, and then it should have taken Medvedev 5 but it didn't shank a forehand at mm. the first game of the fourth set. So, well, you know, it's going to yeah. be good. I think it's going to be a good tournament.
1: I would say Wimbledon still is his bet most likely surface to win a slam. But yeah, hey, if he's still working out and, and making strides and carrying, that's a great thing.
0: Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com.
1: Uh, more with Kenny Ducey here on Tennis Channel Inside In. I do want to mention before we get to the women, a lot of love for the old guard making their triumphant returns in Vienna and Basel. Uh, starting with the oldest, Stan Varenka, getting a victory in straight sets over Casper Ruud. Kenny, he's back with Magnus Norman who he was with for all three of his grand slam titles says he wants to finish the story together. So they're going to at least work through the Aussie open stand, the man in Switzerland. And just giving us those brief glimpses of the backhand that won him three slams was a good thing. And I I just love athletes that don't have to come back. They don't have to prove anything, but he's still out there loving to compete and knocking off top five players.
2: Oh, it's so fun. And I feel like We've done this now like three different times with Stan where, you know, it's so different than Andy Murray where he had, he has to grind so hard to just even get to a top 50 level. Like every time Stan has come back, he's just ripped through players who are like, you know, top 50 talent, like pretty good, like pretty easy fashion. And beating Casper rude was, I mean, you know, Casper's after he's kind of chilling right now, you know, after getting that, uh, that, that second uh, slam final of the year, getting a number two he's obviously not there anymore um but you know he's just kind of hanging out i don't think he we're talking about motivation late in the year but i i i'm impressed like Mm -hmm. he's he obviously has a huge game and and he still hits the ball pretty much as hard as he ever has and uh that's gonna take you far and it's you know just like our boy dennis chef we're just talking about you get the confidence going with stan you know the body's feeling good which it has been he can beat he, he, on his day. He can beat most players on tour still at his age. And uh, it's been fun to watch him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that battle that he had with team was, uh, or I'm sorry, with Andy Murray, rather. What was that last week? W- was fun? Yeah. Um, He's and, fearless uh, yeah, out I mean, there,
1: man. He really is. Yeah. I, I, and ha-
2: Hey, we should give a shout out to the Marin Cilic, who is sort of still part of that class, but right. hasn't been away from the sport just keeps winning. He still grinds it out, man. He gives it a hundred percent every tournament he plays.
1: Yeah, French semi for Chilich this year was very big for his record, his resume, getting his confidence back up. And then of course, I mean Dominic team in Vienna. He gets Medvedev the day this podcast actually drops. But even if the Medvedev match doesn't go his way, he he knocks off Tommy Paul in three sets. He's up to, I think, one oh seven going into the Medvedev match in the live ranking. And then that match was incredible. It was the first time really, I I will say this, Kenny, it was the first time I felt like it was vintage Dominic team where he was ripping the backhand at full velocity, and he had to battle. And Tommy Paul is like that professional wrestler that just always gives you good matches. Like, it's just always a battle with him. It's always fun. And down a break, down in the tie break, finds a way to win. Dominic team and, and really one of the good guys by all accounts in tennis. I'm just so glad he's back and on his way to being back in the mix and being a contender again.
2: Yeah, and I think that the gas tank uh, that everyone, he, he had been uh, rev. rev- revered for is that the word yep. revered yeah. right mm-hmm. there it is that gas tank that he'd been revered for for years is starting to fill back up you know i think that we saw even like that what was it the wrens final and the challengers against uh ugo and when mm-hmm. he just kind of he was out of gas mm-hmm. at the end of that week lost the final in pretty short order not to take anything away from the week ugo had and the end of the season he's had but yeah i think that now he's starting to really He's starting to show that he has the fitness now to go multiple three-set matches in a week, digging deep to win that match against Tommy Fall, breaking back. I mean, it, it does help that he's in Vienna and he had the, you know, the crowd going insane. But it is, yeah, definitely starting to look like vintage team. And, and again, with, along with the gas tank comes that backhand is landing. You know, he he. I remember there was one back. It wasn't, he, he didn't hit a try to hit a ripper winner down the line. I think there was just a backhand, he, you know, a, a topspin backhand he hit that just clipped the back the baseline off his back foot. There's a lot of shots that, you know, he, he, the mind was there, right. And he's yeah. trying to hit these shots. He knows he can hit the body wasn't yet. Now he's starting to land those shots mm-hmm. in and it's really started to become fun because now he, he he's, I saw him. You want to talk about a mean streak when he got to 1540 on the Tommy Paul serve, I believe it was 1540 in the, in the last game when Tommy was trying to serve out the match, I saw him yelling at himself, like hyping himself up. And I know that yeah, a lot of tennis players do that. And we know Dominic team expressed right. himself on the court. and He's always whining when he, things aren't yeah. going right, yelling at Masu, whatever. This was like a different sort of energy. Like it was almost like he he remembers now who he is. And I thought that was so crucial because even before this whole injury mess, after he won the U.S. Open, he was not himself. He was losing matches. He lost Lorenzo, Sanigo on clay. You know, he's losing. He just he wasn't winning many matches at all. Yeah, but you know, now like he he seems mentally. Yeah. He was in a cloud. And I thought that obviously the you know, all the wrist injury that he had to deal with, like all all the complications and he's gonna come back now. He's got a setback. Yeah. The physical ailments were one thing, but I thought he was in a terrible place mentally after he won the US Open. I don't know why. Maybe he was just he figured he just gotten to the top of the mountaintop and he's just okay, now I can relax. It's I don't tough. know what it was, That's but also was. the pandemics did a weird thing yeah. to everyone's brains, right? So mm-hmm it seems like he's out of that fog mentally now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important thing to mention. Like he's focused, he's locked in and he has a lot of confidence in his game now.
1: I think the injury he had anytime you hear tennis player and wrist, everyone's going to be fearful. And for obvious reasons, I don't think he had a lot of margin in his game with that lethal backhand. And I think he took the long game, took the long approach and I think it's paying dividends. So I'm just, I'm happy to see it. And I know, this is you're talking about the tennis season maybe being longer. This is who it helps a guy like Team to get these reps in, get ready to hit 2023 running, where his ranking will shoot up. Um, so I'm happy for him. We'll see what happens, uh, how it goes versus Medvedev and beyond. But props to Dominic Team. We're going to talk about the women to wrap this up. Uh, the unfortunate news, though, I want your just thoughts, Kenny. Uh, the Simona Halp suspension. I mean, this is seems like it's going to be messy for a while. I, I do want to point out that she proclaiming innocence that she didn't know what had happened and. There is a precedent for what would happen if that was the case. It was had in Maya a few years ago who had a contaminated sample and the doping agency said she bore no direct fault for what had happened. She got 10 months of suspension. So it could be messy for Halep. It's unfortunate. She's a champion a couple of times over, but what was your reaction to hearing Simona Halep pop a positive test?
2: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was shocking, right? I think we were all shocked. Um, You know, it's been, she's been on and off the court this year and obviously, um i think it would be more shocking right if this were last year or the year before where she you know she she's going deep in slams and uh you know she obviously won wimbledon uh, yeah. three years ago um but yeah i mean still she's still you know regarded as one of the best players on tour and and you know i think the ranking really doesn't reflect where she is in the women's game so to lose someone like that uh i think i mean and obviously it, it's her own doing so i'm not going to feel super sympathetic, but. Yeah, I mean, in terms of where it leaves the tour, uh, certainly, I think that there are not too many, you know, established names, elder statesmen that are still contenders for slams. She was certainly one of them, and it still felt like a rite of passage or a big deal Mm -hmm. if you beat her at a Grand Mm -hmm. Slam. Uh, She was always lingering in in, in a quarter, and obviously, she's we'll probably see her again, right? right? It's not like she's she's gone forever, but yeah, I mean, it certainly cast a dark cloud over the season. I think that. The good news is that, like I said, she wasn't dominating like Iga yep. Sbiatek. Just is, I mean, is 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 smoking. Yeah. She smoked everybody for most of the year anyway yeah. until she met Carolyn Garcia and um, you know, you know, all these players, right? So. yeah. Um, yeah, I think that yeah, it 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 sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably no nothing else to say, uh, and it, it was definitely surprising because I think that, that that wasn't really someone I expected to it come out that she uh, had right. to. And well, again, we'll see like what the appeal. You know, uh, you know, mm-hmm. obviously Yastrzemskaya's appeal didn't didn't go through. There's been appeals that have gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see what yeah. the truth of the matter was, and it's hard to speak on it until then. But. Right. Sucks to talk about it, right? It,
1: it does. It sucks to not see her involved in the game. Want to give her the benefit of the doubt until we see what happens. Uh, missing some time at her age is going to be, you know, unfortunate, especially given all the injuries she's had. So we'll wait and see. It's a jarring name though to hear. I mean, you you hear this in tennis, but that's obviously one of the bigger names. So we'll wait and see before we pass judgment. Uh, the WTA Finals though are set in Fort Worth. Interesting location, going down south for that one, and uh, going into it with the most momentum outside of Iga is clearly Jessica Pagula. She wins Guadalajara, her first thousand title. Interesting to note that she almost didn't play it. She said she'd struggles in elevation, but made the finals of Madrid in elevation, too. So she might want to re-change that theory, but 28 years old, Kenny. She didn't crack the top 50 until last year in the spring, in March. She's a late bloomer. She's stuck with it. She's 42-18 and 18 in 2022 with a lot of accolades. This has, outside of Iga, as I said, been the most consistent player on tour, and She is very, very deserving of everything she's gotten.
2: Yeah, and speaking of Iga, we were talking before the show, I I was pretty uh, impressed with her against Iga Sviatek. I was at that match at the U.S. Open. She obviously broke Iga. Uh, I think there were 11 breaks of serve in the second set, which, you know, it probably uh, says a lot about both players in terms of their returning ability. But yeah, I mean, I thought that Mm -hmm. she, you know, kept a good head about her, and she's really been an amazing counterpuncher all year long. And I think that that is so important. Uh, especially mm-hmm. when you look at some of the players you have to, I mean, look at the, the match against Maria Sakharis. She had to win in Guadalajara to win the title. Yeah. Zachary uh, just packs a huge punch. And that's another player that like Fugula comes in here with a lot of momentum. Both of them, you know, saw the year end finals coming up, gave it their all mm-hmm. uh, knew what was at stake. And, you know, Zachary, especially beating Danielle Collins, Matova, Buzkova, she battled, uh, she had to go to war. And then Pagula just kind of ran over her. Uh, and I was incredibly impressed with that performance. And, it, you know, it, it's exciting to see two uh, American women in uh, yeah. the uh, WTA year-end finals. And I know that, like, we're sort of spoiled because, you know, the American women have kind of been been pretty good for a pretty long time now. But, uh, you know, I think there was, a, there was a little period in the last couple of years where we didn't really know – who was going to emerge and Sophia Cannon obviously had the great breakthrough at the Australian Open and then, um yeah. you know, then she falls out of the top 100 and, and, you know, there was sort of a lot of different names shuffling in and out, uh but I, you know, definitely uh impressive end of the season mm-hmm. for the Americans and Daniel Collins coming back at the US Open making that nice run. And yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a good final, but I mentioned, yeah. you know, like I said, we we're talking about the elder statesman of the tour. You know, it's a lot of young faces, which I think is really cool because mm-hmm. we're going to get to see these. Uh, hopefully, sustained success for all eight uh, of these players. So, I'm excited to see what Coco Golf brings to the table. I think she could low key just snag this. Um, I think she's playing pretty well as well. Uh, yeah, so we'll see. We'll see what happens.
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice.
1: I'm not going to pick against Iga until someone beats her, (laughs) so I'll I'll say that. And Pagula has 18 losses. Four of them did come to Iga. But, again, I just want to give her props. Obviously, going through a lot with her, all that her mom's been through. The fact is, and it was funny, in the San Diego grounds, uh, having been at that tournament uh, before Pagua made it all the way through and lost to Iga in that one, uh, her coach, David, was just chatting with a few of us, and he said, she's seeing it like a beach ball now, like it's insane. Like, I've never seen Pagula this locked in. So sometimes I do think these coaches kind of have a, a feel on it. And the fact that the two Americans in this event are doubles partners, also going to be playing doubles in the year-end finals too, is kind of a cool thing. Uh, Kenny, it also just does highlight the fact that there's a lot of turnover in the WTA. The finals only has two returning members, uh, I believe. Actually, three returning members. Uh, Iga Sakari and Sabalenka are the only ones from last year playing and uh, everybody else is new into the event. We've got four career highs in the top 10 right now. Pagula, Golf, Kazakina, and Matova. So like you said, the other statesmen are, are kind of not getting pushed to the wayside, but getting passed up by the next generation, which is, you know, basic sports evolution. But the new era is coming, and we're seeing in this WTA Tour Finals.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we can lump uh, Carolina Garcia in there, but certainly someone you know very she's, yeah. she's been around. She was outside seventy this year. Young.
1: That that's the yeah. craziest one, maybe of all. She wasn't even in the top seventy when the season started.
2: Yeah, and and she, I mean, she, she just ripped through uh, basically the whole middle of the season, and and super deserving to be here. I mean, if you look back at the whole year. Definitely, you know, aside from, you know, obviously Sviatek's dominance and then you have Jabir uh, sort of asserting mm. herself as like the next best player. Uh, definitely the, the story of the year, because, you know, I think that uh, we know the talent that she has. She's obviously been super high up in the world before to come back, to find that confidence. And I think it's always just a great story when a player overcomes a mental hurdle. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I think that everyone, it's she's such an easy player to root for because you know, she did have those yips. She did have such a battle trying to, you know, utilize her talent and make the most out of her talent and realize her potential. And so it has been nice to see her. I mean, aside from the U S open where he kind of crumbled at the end, it has been nice to see her settle the nerves. And, you know, I think that we'll, I'm interested to see what happens here at the WTA finals, because it could be one of the defining moments of her, of her career. And I hope that she has a good showing here because you would like to see her carry that confidence in the next year as opposed to end the season on a sour note and then, you know, sort of kind of try to restart again next year, but she deserves to be here. I mean, all, all these women do Uh, Sabalenka. You want to talk about overcoming the yips, right? Mm -hmm. She has really started. I mean, I think she's looking better than she's ever looked right now. Uh, You know, I feel very good about her maybe winning a slam in the next couple of years. So yeah, I think that uh, I think that it's, it should be a good fight. I love this field. I love that there's two Americans, but I think there's pretty much good stories anywhere you look.
1: So Iga is the only one in this field that's won a major before. So if she wins this, she just cements a year that outside of the real iconic years in women's tennis, it's then going to be Iga in that in that category, or it's the biggest title of these women's career. You know, so we have a lot riding on this one, and I do think it's a deep field. Anything can happen. Last year, it was Muguruza over Contebet. This year, two new finals, uh, two new finalists to see. Uh, Kenny Ducey what what can we look forward to uh, seeing you with going forward uh, you know on your betting advice unfortunately the Yankees aren't in it so you won't be you know diving into their playoff baseball but uh, what do we have on deck
2: well I'm certainly still tracking their offs. I mean there's uh, (laughs) gosh I could you want to you want to do another podcast for 30 minutes (laughs) about all these stories that are coming out and uh, yeah uh, yeah, these guys know have no dog in them Uh, but no I do think that uh, yeah, I'll have tennis picks up uh, every day on my Patreon, patreon.com slash I still do uh, three a week over at NBC and for the Masters and the Slams we do every day. So I'll have daily picks up on NBCSportsEdge.com for the Paris Masters. Paris Masters, my favorite tournament. Um, I, I, I This is my most successful tournament every year. It's where I got my start. Handicapping really blew up was the Paris Masters like four years ago. Absolutely love Paris, uh, probably because of all the wacky results and the and the huge odds you can catch on some of these players. But uh, it should be a great close to the season, and then obviously we have. Ne- I mean, the Next Gen Finals are also personally I love watching the Next Gen Finals. Uh, last year sucked because Carlos killed everybody, right? And everyone knew that was going to happen. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll yeah. until there's no more tennis, uh, we'll have uh, we'll have picks up on NBCSportsTouch.com, and like I said, every day on my Patreon. And yeah, well, uh, I'm rocking and rolling with with uh, some playoffs and NBA and NFL. So check me out on Twitter at Kenny DC. And uh, you can uh, find all my stuff there. And soon we'll have some more tick I'll do, I'll be doing some right. TikToks as well. Right. Pretty. I mean, I do. I do occasional yeah. TikToks. Okay. Hoping to get more consistent with them.
1: Well set, Yeah. Send all your uh, Knicks uh, critiques to uh, Kenny on Twitter and make sure. But uh, Kenny Ducey. Uh, I
2: I got the Knicks minus seven tonight. <laughs> okay. uh, so when you're listening, if they haven't covered, yeah. You can uh, you can feel free to uh, uh, flame me, and I will uh, we'll happily see. accept the blame.
1: Kenny Ducey, thanks for joining again. Tennis Channel Inside In.
2: Thanks for having me, Mitch.
1: I uh, love being here. Always a blast chopping it up with Kenny Ducey. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. Check out his Patreon. Check out all the platforms that he posts his picks. As I said, no stranger to the Tennis Channel Airwaves. We'll be back on giving you advice, the advice that you need very, very soon. Now we go to Pamela Maldonado, Yahoo Sportsbook. She's a tennis diehard herself had the most successful year of her gambling wagering advice on tennis this year in 2022 we talk about her correctly predicting Alcaraz getting to number one Novak Djokovic's return to Paris an the event he's dominated in the past Rafael Nadal back in action Dominic teams form a lot of tennis talk with Pamela Maldonado here on tennis channel inside in let's get to it All right, now on Tennis Channel, Inside In, back again. It's been a while. This is her third appearance on the show. But it's Pamela Maldonado, Yahoo Sports betting analyst. You can find her on many different platforms, dishing out betting advice. Uh, big fan also of the Friday Five with Kelly in Vegas. But we got a lot to discuss about the tennis world. Uh, it's been a long year for all of us in the tennis sphere. But uh, I know you've been enjoying it. I know you've kind of dabbled into some events and and some things that you haven't really covered and and dove into in the past, Pamela. But Mm -hmm. thanks for joining the show. And I just want to start with, how's it been in your 2022 following all this amazing tennis?
3: So first off, thanks for having me. Um, Always an opportunity to talk tennis. I'm going to grab it 100% (laughs) because I'm obsessed with the greatest game on the planet. Mm. Um, Secondly, yes, 2022 has been my best betting-wise has been my best season ever, uh, in my betting career of tennis. And it's because of Wimbledon grass court season this year just played so pure, Mm. the, everything that you could have predicted in who's going to win and how many sets will there be a tie break? Everything came to fruition for me. Every prediction that I made was like a nail on the coffin. It was perfect. It was perfection. Is that going to happen next season? You can only wish for it. But I think there is a lot of um, discrepancies sports betting wise coming off of clay and the, all the players that did so well on clay. It doesn't necessarily translate to a grass court. So you can really find those edges mm-hmm. and there are definitely edges to be had. And I took full advantage.
1: A couple of things. One, I mean, I love being like your mental break from the grind of football season. Oh, just yes. come here and just, you know, switch <laughs> gears, lighten the mood. So I appreciate that. And there is no other sport, right, where we're just going to change surfaces, change the game completely. Like you wouldn't do that in baseball or football where, okay, we're just going to go to a different surface. We're going to change the degrees. And that's what makes tennis so special. I mean, frustrating, I guess, if you're playing it, that you have to keep changing things Mm -hmm. up. But there's no other game like this where we're going to change literally how it's played.
3: So when it comes to to betting, why I love tennis so much is because I'm talking about the pure aspect of it. It truly can run so pure because you have indoor hard, you have, we're talking about the different surfaces, you have outdoor hard, you have the grass court season, which is a very short five, six week window. For the most part, there's like enough information if you watch to like a gather of, and it's one player versus one player. So you, and technology, whether the ball was in or not, it's all based off of tech. Mm -hmm. Now, when you start doing the nuances of football, where there's like 32 players on a team, you have to like the weather, is it going to be raining? Is there wind? Um, The referees, are they making the correct calls? Is there an injury that occurred? Like there's just so much variance involved when it comes to something, a team sport like football that you don't get from tennis, which is why I love betting tennis because it is one player versus one player. player and the data sets generally work out
1: (laughs) right and and it's even for individual sports like it's not golf where you're playing against the entire field and you can have the round of your life you just have to be better than whoever's across the net from you that day uh really Mm -hmm. remarkable stuff Wimbledon was great uh props to you although I was going to give you full props I'm going to go like a little less than full because I'm looking at the background I don't see any Carlitos Alcaraz on the back there I know that was your guy and you called it early but his year has been remarkable. Uh, the rise to number one, even more than the U.S. Open, Pam. I think it's mm-hmm. him getting the number one in the world is the most impressive thing at this young age.
3: I am going to have to look for a Carlos something. <laughs> um, I wanted to initially get a f- picture of his face and put it on a shirt that I could wear as, like, merch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't done that yet. I definitely will. And, yeah, I mean, as far as, like, all the predictions that I made for Carlos, I've been tooting his Town my horn ever since what 27, 2018, when he uh defeated Goffin and when 20, what was it, 2020? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he did Goffin pretty early. And I was like, okay, this guy, this kid, he is going to be something. That was when he was 16. And then at 17, he just started crushing. And then early in January, I said that Carlos was going to be world number one. Here it is within the year it happened. In May, I said that he was going to win the U.S. Open. In July, I reminded everybody that he was going to win the U.S. Open. And sure enough, all three predictions came to fruition. He became world number one. He won the U.S. Open. He is, I mean, as a teenager, just at 19 years old, Just achieving so many different records that he has. He was the first team since Nadal in 2005 to reach an ATP major final. After winning the U.S. Open, he was the first team to reach an ATP world number one Mm -hmm. since the rankings were introduced in 1973. You can go on and on about all of his accolades, but it was just really remarkable to watch him go from what he was two years ago to what he is now Mm -hmm. you see the development not only in his game you see the development in his mental mindset and then after Mm -hmm. last year in the transition period from the end of 2021 into 2022 you saw the transition that carlitos made on his own body he came in built he came in like with more muscle on his lower body how do you think he was able to sustain those back to back to back five set matches (laughs) in the u.s open to win everybody else would have been done for Carlos. Wasn't why? Because he was already as if preparing himself, his preparing his body for these types of matches.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it it was. (laughs) And I think the consistency is what, you know, to get to number one, I never want to minimize winning a grand slam, but to get to number one, you have to do it over a year long period. You have to be producing results tournament to tournament. You can't rest on what you did previously. And that's what was startling to me. Also, I actually love the fact, Pam, that it didn't come easy. You mentioned those matches. Oh, yeah. He was pushed. It wasn't just an ascent to the throne. Everything was rosy. The match against center was maybe my favorite match, that with an Nadal-Mabadev A.O. match. And maybe you can throw Kyrgios Djokovic in there. But mm-hmm. that match with center at the U.S. Open was awesome. I want to see them play a bunch. Their styles just match up perfectly. And the fact that Carlos is pushed, it's kind of like the big three thing, right? Like, they got better because of each other. And... I love the fact that that match was great and that that U.S. Open was a culmination of all the work that Carlos put in, as you mentioned.
3: As you mentioned, it was also we're seeing we saw it from Novak against Nadal. We saw it against Nadal, against Federer. They pushed each other. They made each other better. Why are they world number one, two, three in the big three? Because they competed. They had to outmaneuver. They had Mm -hmm. to out like mental mindset. They had to just outplay each other, figure out a new tactic that they didn't use previously. We saw that this year with Sinner. He made Sinner so much better of a player. We saw it again. Even Francis Tiafo. Mm. It was like almost his breakout year for him because he got to play somebody like Carlos that... He has just as much variety as Carlos does, but he doesn't get all the recognition because he's so much more inconsistent. Well, maybe now we're going to start seeing some of that consistency come into play with Tiafo and maybe 2023 could be the year of him because he is playing so much better for having that match under his belt already.
1: Yeah, that Tiafo Carlos match was awesome as well. There's so many good ones to choose from, and uh, I, I will. And ask, a lot
3: of them feature Carlos. They
1: did a lot of them did. <laughs> I will. I will ask you this though: his new role now as number one, as the hunted. Do you think that's going to change anything with not necessarily his approach, but just the level of his of his opponents, bringing their best, knowing that there's no mistaking how good Carlos is. He's the top guy now. How will that affect how he plays going forward?
3: Will it affect Carlos? I don't think so, because I think he's already such at a higher level caliber of player compared to the rest of the field. But I think it does change, however, is and this is for the good. All the opponents that he has faced are now seeing, oh, well, now I have to change my game and evolve because I mm-hmm. with what I have now playing a baseline game is not going to cut it. No, you're now seeing mm-hmm. that variety We've been saying it forever. This is why Federer is so good. It's why Djokovic is so good. It's why Nadal is so good. They all have variety. Right. They have a bag of weapons that a lot of the players before Carlitos came into the picture didn't have. They weren't implementing. They had a serve. None of them volleyed. They don't come into the net. They play from the baseline. And that's why we're seeing even yeah. on grass court, the back of the baseline is brown grass because there nobody's coming into the net. Carlos is changing that. So now... We are going to see it. We saw it from Tiafoe. We're seeing it from Sinner. We're seeing it from other players like Sebastian Corda. They're all adding variety into their game that a year ago none of them had.
1: The one thing though that I I, I want to just stress is that I don't think his game will change. His approach will change. I just hope the expectations don't get too great. Like if he doesn't win two slams in a year, that doesn't mean it's a bad year. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. it's. I think that's what might end up happening now is that we're all just going to expect that right away he's still a teenager, he gets to that peak Fed, peak Djokovic, peak Nadal seasons Mm -hmm. where it's multiple slams or bust, and that I don't think would necessarily be fair.
3: Well, you actually saw those expectations come to fruition in the year because he did so well early in the first half of the season, uh, January through May, he was crushing everything. But then came grass court, and people were still having that expectation of him to do well. But people like you, people like me, we understand, okay, his game, his style of play, uh, Alcaraz's style of play is not necessarily suited for a fast surface. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily suited for grass. So then all of a sudden – He's not in the headlines. He's not really talked about as much because he's not having a great grass court season. Could he become a good grass court player? Sure. Eventually right now we haven't seen him play since the U S open. So he's again, not being talked about, but then here we go start of January. I'm sure the expectations are all going to come flooding back in because it's lower surfaces in the beginning of the year. Um, it's surfaces that he should be excelling at, that he did excel at. And then it's going to be that cycle all over again. Well, that expectation is going to come around in 2023 grass court season. Lower those expectations. Yeah. His game right now is suited for a very specific type of surface and it's not on a fast court and it's not during grass.
1: Well, you nailed the Alcarez pick, um, so props there. Uh, and, I, and I'll just follow up with this: Are there any other players? Obviously, probably not on the on the level of Alcaraz now, but people on your radar that you're looking at—you know, teens, early 20s. Last week we saw a bunch of young players win titles, and Felix Holgeruné Musetti. There's some other names that are that are popping up. Who's on your radar for a potential breakouts to get into the top 10 and beyond?
3: I would love to see Francis Tiafoe. I mean, he had such a great twenty twenty two season. Um, I really think his skill set. Um, A lot of what you don't hear being talked about him is that he changed his physique as well. Going into the U.S. Open, I noticed right off the bat, I was like, oh, he slimmed down a bit. Well, now all of a sudden, he's getting a lot more balls. He's putting his serves a lot more into play. He has a lot more mobility and agility that he didn't have this time last year. Um, So I would love to see the progression that he made this season carry over into next year. Now, if we're talking about the younger players, honestly, there's only two for me. It's still Carlos. I want to see what 2023 happens for him but more importantly he's not uh, one of the younger players but he is a player that's coming back and is like rounding into form and it's dominic team okay <laughs> he has been yeah. off the i'm sure – i know you wanted yeah. to talk about yeah, it yeah. but like he is the most exciting player to me right now because of the progression that he has made in his in, in his return from injury
1: yeah, and and we'll get into team right now. I think that, you know, he loses them every day in straight sets. I think the progression has been good. I don't necessarily think that one loss is going to change. That is on the cusp of the top 100. I also use the metaphor mm-hmm. of, and I know they've played six times, but in this whole long road back, it was, I think it was uh, Kobe Bryant talking about playing Michael Jordan the first time ever. He's like, I need to kind of feel, I needed to feel what that was like, what that level was like. This is a mm-hmm. great oppor- this was a great opportunity for a team to get these reps in of like, okay, this is a guy I've played before, but I need to feel what this level is like again, to know where I have to be- get to. I will preface this with this, and I agree with everything you said. he's totally exciting, he's great. He's, he's huge for the game and I want to see him do well. Mm-hmm. Anytime I hear tennis, player injury, and wrist, I'm going to get a little cautious too, and I understand ah. why he's taking the long road. So while I'm rooting for him like, hell, there's no guarantee that he's going to get back to top form. So I would also caution everybody to say, okay, let's just mm-hmm. hope for the best. It's been great to see his progression. The Tommy Paul win was phenomenal. Uh, and I just want to see him take the slow approach if he has to, because again, wrist injuries are super serious.
3: No. And you saw, you said it yourself, Um, like injury with Delpo. Um, I mean, that yeah. was, he mm-hmm. had the wrist injury and he, honestly like never recovered from that so the same could very much happen with team but I think there's a lot of hope to show that he potentially could also work past that Mm -hmm. because his game is actually there it doesn't seem like the wrist injury is affecting him at all I would say more so it's been more of a mental struggle that he's had rather than the physicality his physical ability is there. He's not really getting winded in these matches. He's going the distance getting through tie breaks making it through the full three. We haven't seen how well he could do in a best of five, but it seems like right now that the wrist yeah. is not a concern and that's always a good sign.
1: Yeah, I'm rooting for him for sure. And uh, just to put a bow on what you said earlier, uh, I would, I, I would definitely add center to the mix. I think he's going to be a factor going forward. Uh, Felix, I'm a fan of, and I know we talked about him earlier on this show actually, but Don't sleep on Jack Draper. He gave Carlos a hell of a match (laughs) earlier. And that's my guy for the future.
3: What I do like about Sinner is that there's just like not a lot of players on tour, if any, that can match his power. And that's always wonderful to see. I wish he had a little bit more variety in his game because he himself is pretty much just a baseliner. But that power, when Mm. he's healthy, it is untouchable. And that's been the problem with Sinner is can he himself stay healthy? We saw him early in the season. He had to retire from a couple of matches. He withdrew from a couple of matches. He has these blister thing, problems that seem to always pop up every now and then. He's just really inconsistent with his health right now. I would like to see him take like a a break, a legitimate like, mm-hmm. three-month break to get fully 100% healthy. So that way we can see really what the distance means for him. Mm-hmm.
1: More with Pamela Maldonado here on Tennis Channel Inside. And while we turn our attention to the Paris Masters, and with that, the return of some heavy hitters, some of the greats of all time. Novak Djokovic is one of the players that will be returning next week and the ATP Finals. He's won Paris, Pamela, six times and the Finals five Mm. times. So very comfortable there. But the quote that stood out to me is that he says he's working on aspects of his game in the time where he's away from the bigger tournaments that he says he couldn't work on. When there's the nonstop calendar in the season. So that to me is like, whoa, this could be a scary development for the rest of the tour. I do think Mm -hmm. that him away from the grind of a tennis season, him working on certain things could be very frightening for the rest of his contemporaries.
3: I want to know what those things are. There's there's like, what part (laughs) of the the game is he does? What part of the game does Djokovic think, you know what? I could do better in this area because he is fantastic at nearly everything. There's a reason why he was world number one for so long. And the only reason why he's not world number one right now is because he was forced to sit out of a few tournaments and practically like an entire season. So, I mean, yeah, you're talking about ATP Paris. He's the favorite coming into this to win the tournament, and rightfully so. He's won two out of the last three. He's won five out of the last nine. A 2023, is, if he can play every tournament and not be an issue with his vaccination status, it could definitely be the year of Novak Djokovic, and potentially we could see the calendar slam back into play.
1: I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, I know he's not number one, but do you still consider him the best player in the world right now? Healthy, he's informed, more than, more than Carlos. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I More would agree Carlos, with
3: that. Yes, because that match that we saw between Carlos Alcaraz and Djokovic, um, what was it, in Madrid? It was one of the best matches, and that was because Djokovic came into it rusty. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a match under his belt. He didn't have any reps, and he took him to two sets t- to back-to-back tiebreaks. That was remarkable tennis from Djokovic. You give him a full, especially in a major, you give him a full set of five sets, he's going to figure it out. I want to see both of these players in peak form face off, and I know we're going to get it. We'll, we'll get it.
1: Also should be noting that the indoor hard courts really do favor him. And they actually don't favor him. Oh, N- yeah. Nadal's never won Paris and he's never won the ATP Tour exactly. Finals. I know there's injuries and the fact that Nadal ramps up his season in the middle, that plays a part for his side. But the game and how quick it moves inside and just what Novak can do indoor really is tailor-made for his tennis.
3: Right, so we were talking about Alcadas and maybe we we're going to see him at Paris, but he's still a fade on faster surfaces because we haven't seen any bit of counterpunching ability from Alcadas, and that means you learning to redirect the ball. He has every weapon in the bag, but the ability to counterpunch, uh, which comes with timing, and that's something that we see from, like, Monorino. That's why Djokovic is number one, because he's a really great counterpuncher. He can handle the pace and the power of these big surf of these big servers, heavy hitters on a faster service. Carlitos, he is an aggressive power generator. You can't play power with power. And Mm -hmm. this is why you see him lose to players like Sinner. He needs to be able to abbreviate the swing, take control. And we just haven't really seen that from him yet. Is that something that he could develop? Absolutely. It's going to take time, maybe in a couple of years, maybe in like the next few seasons. Is it going to happen this time around, this this month in Paris? No, I don't expect that. Now, do I expect that from Djokovic? Absolutely. He's coming in this fresh. He's coming in this motivated. He already said himself that he's trying uh he's a lot more optimistic about playing Australian Open in 2023. I feel like he has like an agenda. He has a list. He has a, a list of things that he wants to check off. And so why not win another Masters event uh, in Paris?
1: Two tournament wins. Took some time off. Is he going to follow that up with two more tournament wins? I mean, it's tough to beat this guy going forward. Uh, Rafael Nadal is going to be returning also. Committed to Paris and the ATP Tour Finals. Actually going to be playing some exhibitions with Casper Root in the offseason as well. So good to see Rafa back. He's a father now. He's adjusted to life, I guess, without Roger Federer on tour as well after the Labor Cup. But Rafa coming back to play, a good sign for sure. I know he's dealing with a lot of pain. But this is a commitment from a player who, as we mentioned, haven't, has not done well here. And still, unfortunately, Pam, mm-hmm. going through some pain. You know, I, I think that's going to be management for the rest of his career, unfortunately.
3: It is. It's unfortunate because I don't think we'll see peak Nadal anymore. Uh, I think those days are kind of past us. We may see him advance the semis to the quarters, but it's going to start become a thing where what he did to his body in this, this year, where he got the injections in order mm. to get through uh, Roland Garros, that is not sustainable. That is not something that he can repeat year after year and have longevity in this sport. So I feel like the days of Nadal are starting to kind of cave in a bit. Maybe... Who knows when his retirement could come. But now that he's a father, like potentially that shift, that focus is going to shift. Um, We haven't seen him play since his round of 16 loss to Tiafo in the U S open. He lost in four sets, but some positives for him going into Paris is one. He's rested. It's been a great year. He had four titles. Two of those were majors. Um, But some of the cons for Paris, mm-hmm. he hasn't played. Yeah. So Paris is fast. That doesn't bode well for Nadal. He, here, he has a 22 to six, um, Win-loss record, no titles, as you mentioned. And look at the players that he lost to, though. He lost to Zverev in the 2020 semifinal. He lost to Shapovalov in the 2019 uh, semifinal. So those two names already are telling you mm-hmm. he struggles against these heavy hitters mm-hmm. on this faster surface. So I don't expect him to have a deep a deep run here. There's a lot of great players coming into this tournament who are going to be... Uh, It helps that he's number two in the world right now. That could help him with the draw. But the last time that he reached the Paris finals was 2007. And he lost to now Bandian 6-4, 6-0. I don't know if you all remember that matchup, but... Yeah. I mean, now Mannion would have been one of the greatest players of all time if he had just, like, cared a little bit more to be one of the greatest players.
1: <laughs> Off the top of my head, I don't know if that's the only time he's been bageled, but it's one of the few, if it is, because that just never exactly. happened to Rafa. It um,
3: never happens.
1: I've always respected the fact, maybe more than most uh, facts about Rafa and all the accolades, that he doesn't use injuries as an excuse. He'll never say he doesn't want to take away, exactly. kind of like Federer never retired in a match. They, they don't want exactly. to take away from their opponent's moment it's a weird timing because in theory, if he has great runs, wins these tournaments, he could get to number one in the world, but I'm with Mm -hmm. you. Unless it's clay and unless he's been training for the specific goal in mind, the French open title, he's not really built like Djokovic to where he can just come right back in. He's like that car that takes a while to rev up and needs all the repetition and the practice. He's a creature of habit. And yeah, I just, I don't see it happening this time given the surface as well, but Hey, it's, it's hard to bet against Rafael Nadal in, in any setting. and, I'm just glad to see him. We got to get into that appreciation mode uh, because obviously with Roger Federer gone and Nadal, mm-hmm. don't know how much more longer. We just got to appreciate We saw how much guys. it affected
3: him. That, uh, Startling. Watching Better, uh, in his retirement, we saw how much it affected Nadal. So that's got to right. have some type of, I don't know. I mean, of course, this is all pure guess, but mm-hmm. I mean, that's got to weigh somewhat in his mind of like okay well maybe i'm not immortal either best friends on tour i'm not immortal and he understands his style of play is also not made for longevity in the game this is why he had to get the injections but he loves the longer rallies and this is why he preserves his body for clay Mm -hmm. this is why you don't see him post us open really Mm -hmm. um so that had me wondering of why he's even playing paris and you just mentioned it right now maybe he does want world number one one last time it helps with the draw it helps. It could help with his drawing in the Australian Open. It could help with his draw next year at Roland Garros. Or, so, yeah, I, I believe that there's a chance here that within the next year or two, potentially that's it.
1: Unfortunate uh, that we were going to be saying goodbye to all these legends, but it's part of sports but evolution. Only,
3: But only because his body's not allowing him yeah. to. Because when he is healthy, we see him dominate. We mm-hmm. see Nadal clean up shop just like he can beat absolutely anybody on tour. If it wasn't for his body preventing him from doing so,
1: except Novak on hard court. But I agree except with you no everything else. On hard everything career. else, you're right. Everything else, you're right. Uh, and and seriously too, I just want to mention him going to Latin America with Casper Rude to go play the exhibitions. I know it's not as competitive as the tennis tour, but that's going to be something. I mean, he is revered mm-hmm. to the max in Latin America, and they don't get to see high level tennis players a lot of times in their countries. So. That's going to be a great experience for him and for the people of Latin America.
3: It will. I mean, anytime we have, this is why I'm already planning my 2023, what tournaments do I want to go watch Schedule Because I'm trying to watch Nadal in any, I don't care if it's a 250 event. I want to watch Nadal live. I missed my opportunity watching Federer live. I have seen Novak Djokovic, fortunately, at last year's US Open. I want to see Nadal in person. Okay. I want to see the bull mentality. I love, and this is what I'm going to miss most about him. We're already talking about him as if he's mm. retiring tomorrow. But this is what I love and respect about Nadal is that you can never tell if it is a first round of a, ter- of a tournament or if it's the final. He plays every point as if it matters yeah. the most and it is the most important point that he's had. And that's what you don't really see from a lot of players, honestly. But you see that every single time every tournament, every point, every shot from Nadal. you got to love it.
1: He's just so process-oriented over results, and it's one of the best lessons any young athletes or any young professionals can take away is that he is just so committed to the process of what it takes to be good that it's -hmm. taken him to unbelievable heights. Uh, Before we wrap this up, any other players in Paris that you're looking at to maybe... Make, make wagers on, maybe fade a little bit, other things you're looking at that we didn't mention outside of the, the Carlos, the Novak, and the Rafas. Anybody else that you got your eye on?
3: Um, honestly, there is nobody. Why? Because I am interested in putting, when if, if I am betting tennis, okay. it's because I am putting it on air quotes, a for sure thing. And for me right now, that is honestly Novak Djokovic. Think of the, in ATP Paris, the most titles, Djokovic, the most finals, Djokovic, mm. the most consecutive titles, Djokovic, <laughs> the most yeah. consecutive finals, Djokovic. He has played the most mass, the most uh matches played in Paris are belong to him. The most matches won. He owns Paris. This is another homecoming tournament for him. And if I want to make a futures wager, it's going to be on Djokovic. I'm refreshing the page daily. If he gets anything at plus money, I'm firing on all cylinders.
1: Not a bad strategy for sure. And it works. Obviously (laughs) I would say if you're more on the leisure side to have fun, maybe you look at when the draw comes out the other side of Novak and Carlos, there could be some live upsets if you just kind of avoid their section Some players coming in with momentum and some players not. And that's where, you know, that's where tennis is such a great value. The numbers don't mean much. You look at head-to-heads a lot of time. You look at the surface results. I think there could be some opportunities early in in the sections that don't involve, involve Alcaraz and Djokovic.
3: Well, you could also look at Alcaraz, but instead of doing well to find a fade spot, he mm. I don't expect him to run yeah. deep in this tournament, not having played, knowing that this a faster fist doesn't really work well for his style of game. So there's plenty, there should be, based off of the draw, a plenty of opportunities to try to fade him.
1: Well, this was a fun chat as always. I love chatting tennis with Pamela Maldonado. And before I say goodbye, I do have to ask you, because it's pretty inspiring what you're doing with your bodybuilding stuff now. Oh. Uh, making, uh, you know, doing very well in, in, in competitions and the commitment you've shown. But also, I think the fact that you started this later in life and just decided to do this for better and to help yourself and now to help others. What was the thought process behind that? and Why do you consider yourself so committed to your newest and greatest passion?
3: Well, I'll tell you what. So I am 35 years old right now. And at 27 years old, I was told that I have lower lumbar arthritis. I There was a, a period, a solid full month of my life where I was hunched over like an L and I could not stand up without the most excruciating pain. Instead of going the surgical route and going under the knife to get my spine repaired, I decided I'm going to take the long, hard road of rebuilding my body. And that is building strength where it needed to be strengthened in your core, your glutes, and your hamstrings, because that is the basis for healthy living. And here I am, 35 years old. I wasn't, at 27, I wasn't even able to do a bodyweight squat Now I am deadlifting 255. I am squatting like 260. I'm trying to get up to the 300 club. I have no pain in my lower back. I have no pain in my knees. And then I got into bodybuilding as a form of this is what I am working towards. I want longevity at 60. I want to be hiking when I'm in my seventies. I don't want to be sitting on the couch and like bedridden because my body aches so much. Mm -hmm. I want to be living life when I get older and competing. That just came as like a bonus for me to have like these little miniature goals (laughs) throughout the year. So it's just, it's, yeah, I didn't start competing until 33 years old and I didn't get into bodybuilding until 31 and this is the best Physical shape that I've ever been in. It's been it's been the best mental uh, shape that I've ever been in, and I largely contribute um, bodybuilding to that because it is dedication. It is a different type of discipline, mm-hmm. and it coincides with my sports betting that I do now. I don't think it's coincidence that I've had the best year of sports betting. Um, I think it's largely contributed to. This has also been the best physical shape I've been in, and it helps with the brain. It helps with the mind, honestly.
1: It's obviously great to have goals. And uh, it just shows you, too, that there's so many different ways. I mean, feeling good and living a healthy life is the goal. It should be the goal for all of us. But yet, there's so many different ways to do it. And it's whatever fits your personality, fits what you want to do. You've obviously found something that is uh, doing best for you in all areas of your life. So, congrats on that and all the success Thank that you. you've had. It's been very. Very fun to watch uh, Pamela Maldonado from Yahoo Sports Betting. Check out all of her content on Twitter and all the posts she does for the Yahoo Sportsbook. Thanks for coming on Tennis Channel Insight, and we'll have to talk tennis again soon. Australia is just around the corner, but I thanks was for coming. I am going to
3: say, I'm gonna, <laughs> we'll see you again in January for the Australian Open.
1: Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Enormous thanks to both Pamela Maldonado and Kenny Ducey for appearing as guests on Tennis Channel Inside In. And a reminder, you can go to tennis.com slash podcasts for the entire catalog of shows on the Tennis Channel Network, including the tennis.com podcast with Kamal Murray, which had exclusive interviews with Coco Gauff and Danielle Collins. Tennis Channel Inside In is on all your podcast platforms. Just search Inside In, and it'll pop right up. Lots to discuss next week when we return the ATP Masters event in Paris, the WTA Tour Finals in Fort Worth. A lot of cowboy hats and boots being brought into the picture. So follow along on Tennis Channel Inside In. I'm Mitch Michaels, the host of this show. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week.